From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. There are two glaring legal problems. Number one is, does the White House know that the um, Durham investigation is interested in this matter? It shouldn't. I mean, that's real intervention mm -hmm. in the Justice Department, much worse than worrying about Roger Stone's sentence. Mm -hmm. And number two, if so, the commutation has like a quid pro quo, which is also a problem. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Last week, President Trump pardoned seven and commuted the sentences of four others. Stanley Langbein, who usually joins us on tax questions, dives into the presidential get-out-of-jail-free card. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Stanley. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. First, can you educate us on the jargon of forgiveness, clemency, pardon, commuted? Uh, well, the uh, Constitution uh, gives the uh, president the power to pardon. Uh, a pardon means that a person is absolved of any conviction or any charge um, that was made within whatever the pardon defines its own scope. A pardon means you're forgiven. Um, and it comes from the, in, in the old days, in, in the English law, the king uh, had power to pardon anyone because any offense was an offense against the king, so the king could pardon it. It's a little different under the constitutional system, and there are some questions about it. Um, for instance, some people think that a pardon, if you accept the pardon, you're admitting guilt. That's probably not the law, but there are statements in Supreme Court opinions that suggest that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means uh, you weren't, you're not a convicted felon anymore. You can vote and things like that. It erases it. Right. The commutation of a sentence means that you get out of jail or you don't go to jail, but you're still convicted. And then that all comes under the, the clemency umbrella, or is that That's a, all a considered clemency, okay. yeah. Good. Um, you had a front seat uh, to one of, of the original cases that was uh, commuted. Can you talk a little about that? It wasn't commuted. That was a pardon. Okay. Um, yes. Stand correct. When I was in private practice— I worked on a prosecution and developed a defense, and I did that almost single-handedly. Um, uh, and that defense was not used initially, um, but about 17 years after, the, or 15 years after the um, proceeding, uh, it was the basis for President Clinton's pardon of Mark Rich and Pinky Green which was done on the last day of the Clinton administration and which was highly controversial. But it was not as, it was, should not have been as controversial as it was um, because from day one, Rich and Green were innocent. Of what were they charged with? They were charged with tax evasion. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
they, uh, Marty Ginsburg, who's the husband of Justice Ginsburg and who was a very, very renowned tax lawyer, probably the most renowned tax lawyer in the country, and Bernard Wolfman, who was a professor at Harvard, who was a very much sought-after expert witness on Mm -hmm. tax matters, both attested to uh, the proposition that there was no tax owed, that there was no basis for for tax liability, Mm -hmm. let alone for a criminal charge. So you mentioned that... uh, And that their position was based on work that I did. Got it. Okay. Um, you say that it, it happened on the last day of uh, the Clinton administration. So can you discuss a little how unusual or usual this flurry of, you mean the flurry of this clemency week? this week? Um, it, it's unusual. Um, by any standard, it's unusual. Um, one is when... When the the pardons are very frequently controversial mm-hmm. because someone's convicted of a crime, um, and there there's it's e- it's easy to sensationalize it. Uh, for that reason, presidents tend to bury pardons of high profile people. They'll do it. Uh, George H. W. Bush did this. He do it after between the election. Which, the, which he lost, and the inauguration of the new president. They tend to do it near the end of the term or sometime when people aren't looking. And there's no blowback. Well, there might still be blowback, but the idea is to minimize the blowback. The president this time seems to have tried to maximize the blowback. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing it in the face of this controversy over Roger Stone, and people think that there were three people who were— three close to him who were convicted by the Mueller investigation team, and there's a suggestion he might pardon all of them, Uh, on top of which um, the Blagojevich pardon. Blagojevich, uh, now, I have very different views than the general view of what happened with Blagojevich. I mean, I think there were questions about the charges and real questions about the length of the sentence, but that was clearly going to be um, controversial. And, you know, if you, if you scratch the surface, there may be uh, things going on that really aren't right. I mean, because the... Um, but do you sense that, that, that he did that because he believed that he was innocent or... For more political reasons. Well, a lot of people believe that, including myself, believe that the sentence was excessive. But there were things that um, that the um, press doesn't pick up, whether deliberately or not, about the Blagojevich matter, which are really sensitive. Such as? Well, um, first of all, the, the one thing that bothered me about the, the, the Blagojevich conviction at the time, at the time was that um, the judge ordered a wiretap of his phone two weeks before the 2008 election, at which time it was pretty clear Obama was going to win mm-hmm. and that he was going to be appointing a successor to Obama. So there would have been an expectation that Obama would be on the phone with him. 
And I think both the prosecutor and maybe the judge had an eye on getting a wiretap of the president-elect, not just the governor, Mm -hmm. number one. And I've always sort of admired the Obama team for keeping him off that phone. Um, And that may be because they were very smart, because they were smart about Mm -hmm. things like that. It's also possible they were tipped off, Mm -hmm. that the phone was tapped. But there was a good bet that the phone was tapped in any of that. Um, Now, and then it took a while to get Blagojevich convicted. There was a hung jury first, and he was retried. But, and then the judge imposes this very harsh sentence. And the judge was Judge Zagel, who wasn't any old judge. He was also beginning about that time and for seven years, he was the chief judge of the FISA court, mm-hmm. the intelligence court, which is the center of the controversy with the Durham investigation, the investigation of the investigation that's going on. That being the case, it's possible someone wants to talk to Blagojevich about the Fi- Judge Zagel in the FISA court. If that's the case, there are two glaring legal problems. Number one is, does the White House know that the um, Durham investigation is interested in this matter? It shouldn't. I mean, that's real intervention mm-hmm. in the Justice Department, much worse than worrying about Roger Stone's sentence. Mm-hmm. And number two, if so, the commutation has like a quid pro quo, which is also a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, uh, <laughs> but these things aren't really picked up because, I mean, the, the, um, the press has never focused on the wiretap the original wiretap, and never focused on Judge Zagel's role with the Faisal Court. On top of which, my recollection, and I followed this pretty closely because of my interest in the Mark Rich case, um, which had the same prosecutors, incidentally, mm-hmm. the same people who prosecuted, um, um, the people who prosecuted Bogoyevich were also involved in the prosecution of the Rich case. They were not the original prosecutors. But at that time, the press, and even now, the press is really harsh on Blagojevich. Mm -hmm. And the two press forces that I remember being especially harsh, one was a guy, um, one was was one of the people on MSNBC, and he's uh, Willie Geist. Mm -hmm. And he's not usually, I mean, he'll go along with whatever they're saying, but he's not usually like the leader of the pack, but he was very harsh on Blagojevich. The other institution that was terribly harsh on Blagojevich was Mm Bloomberg.com. And you can go back and check my recollection, but I just remember Bloomberg.com really blowing the the matter up. Mm -hmm. So... Interesting. Who knows what's going on? I mean, it's just there's a lot that's not being reported, and there could be a lot going on. All of this is, I mean, I stress, this is speculative. I have no no way of knowing, but it just seems to me that that um, what the president did was especially defiant. Mm-hmm. And fishy. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by fishy. Well, I mean, like, was it, were there more reasons for it, underlying reasons that are are not? It just seems to me with Bogoyevich, there there were underlying reasons all along that weren't 
clear on the surface, and if there were, there still are. Good, good. Well, thanks for letting me get through this interview without ever having to say his name, Blagojevich. Um, thanks, Stanley. Blagojevich. Okay. All right. See you soon. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Global Summer Academy, the unique program for international students and recent law grads looking to improve legal English, hone lawyering skills, and increase understanding of U.S. legal practice. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash global dash summer dash academy. Thank you.